Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm excited to be back in the studio with Alan, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. This is actually the third letter because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he had sent a letter to them previously. This second letter is actually the third letter that we know of that was sent to the church at Corinth. If you want to know some of the history about the beginning of this church, listen to our teaching on 1 Corinthians, but just a reminder. If you go to Acts chapter 18, he spent a year and a half in Corinth, and God protected him as he was in this city, and no one would harm him in the city of Corinth. God made that promise to Paul. Paul was shaken when he was in the city. He mentions in 1 Corinthians he was there in fear and in trembling and in weakness. And in Acts chapter 18, God comes to him in a vision and says, Do not be afraid any longer. Keep on speaking. So that year and a half in Corinth was really a time of refuge for Paul physically to be built back up. He preached the gospel. He determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He did not preach with persuasive words bringing a new philosophy. He saw a work of God's Spirit there in Corinth, and God raised up a great church. This church had others that had come in and ministered to them, Apollos and Peter, and others had come and had influence within this church after Paul had left. Therefore, some divisions had developed. Because the city of Corinth comes out of a Hellenistic culture, that background, that culture tries to align itself with an individual, and they would say, I am of Paul, I am of Peter, Cephas, or I am of Apollos, or one group would say, I am of Christ. But a Hellenistic culture was one that constantly and consistently divided itself. Paul wants them to know that we are under the banner of Christ and we should all come into agreement under his headship. It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about Apollos. It is about Christ. He is the head of the church. When Paul laid the foundation in Corinth, Christ was the foundation. And he says we have to be careful of how we build upon that foundation. Now, just a reminder about the city of Corinth. Corinth had a population of about 650,000 people. 250,000 were free. 400,000 were slaves. It was a city known for its immorality. It was an economic center. It was a religious center, very similar to Athens. It was located in the district or the region of Achaia, which was south of Macedonia. So this was part of Greece, and that Hellenistic culture saturated the city of Corinth. The Greek language, the Greek culture, the Greek understanding of life, the Greek worldview. 
The temples of Corinth promoted prostitution, so that was part of the worship within these pagan temples that men would go and sleep with the prostitutes as an act of worship, and the prostitutes made money for the temples. All of this was accepted within society. It was something that was normal. And there was a term that was used that you have been Corinthianized. You have gone into the city, and the city has taken hold of you, and you have participated in its sexual immorality, you have been Corinthianized. This is the context in which Paul is bringing the gospel, a Jewish gospel about the God of Abraham, about the forgiveness of sins, about a new covenant, about the Jewish Messiah who laid down his life for the sins of the world. And people By the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit, people from Corinth start responding to the gospel, and a church is established. And Alan, it's not about a building, and we're not talking about a church building. We're talking about a community of faith that is built up in one of the most horrendous cultures you could imagine. It would be like trying to minister the gospel in Las Vegas, San Francisco, Amsterdam, Tel Aviv, some type of secular city like that that not only embraces immorality, but it promotes it to the world. And so here, a great community of faith has been established in the city of Corinth. Now, this church should have grown up and should have matured after the time in which Paul was there and as Paul moved on to Ephesus. From Ephesus, he writes back this letter known as 1 Corinthians, but they're not, they haven't matured. They haven't grown up. They're still babies in the faith, and there are lots of divisions within the church. And we see that in the first chapter. We see Paul really warning those within the church, be careful of how you build upon the foundation of Christ. He wants them to come under agreement under the authority of Christ. And instead of still drinking milk, he wants them to eat solid food, to eat meat, and become mature in the faith. And he writes back this letter called 1 Corinthians to really deal with all of the issues and problems within the Corinthian church. And I think a good point about Corinthian church, and, and you mentioned it just an overview for both of these letters, is that you know, it's an example that God can move anywhere. And you look at a city, like you said, that was just full of debauchery, sexual immorality, pagan worship, you know, seemed like it was some of the worst of the worst um, in this Hellenistic culture at that time. But that's where God chose to move, and he poured his spirit out there, and he used Paul to plant you know, a really large church, but it wasn't without its issues, you know, and it wasn't without its problems. And I think that's just testament and something we can look at. You know, you never know. You think, well, this this city's nice or this is a good place. Um, or while this bad place, God will never move there. But he can and he will and he does and he still does that. And he's, he's kind of proven that throughout his entire word that it's not about where we think he's going to go or where he, we think he's going to raise someone up that will follow him. You know, God can do anything and he can do it. And he did it here in Corinth in probably the last place anyone at that time would expect to see a a community follow the true God and follow Jesus Christ. Yes, and even in Corinth when he went there, he first goes to the synagogue. And so there are Jews in Corinth, and he's kicked out of the synagogue, but the leader of the synagogue comes to faith, and they go to his home. And this community of faith is built up, and they meet there in Crispus in his home. 
who was the leader of the synagogue, and Gentiles, people that are coming out of this Hellenistic background. Now, the Jews also probably had a Hellenistic culture as well. As Jews were scattered around the world, you saw the influence of Hellenism upon them as well. However, as they turn to the Gentiles, they do not have any background with the God of Abraham. Maybe there are some God-fearing Gentiles that respect the Jewish people and their faith, and maybe they're not idol worshipers, but really the culture of Corinth is a pagan culture. And God can do anything like you're talking about. And they start ministering the gospel to Gentiles, and Gentiles start coming to faith, and it's a beautiful thing. And Paul recognizes in 1 Corinthians that this was the power of God. It was a work of God's Spirit. It wasn't by persuasive words that was coming from him, but this was a true work of God upon the Corinthians, and a community of faith is established. Now, the letter that he wrote that we understand as 1 Corinthians is all about progressive sanctification. Now, we've gone through all 16 chapters, but it's about them growing up and coming out of infancy and growing up in the faith and being strong and standing up and walking and being mature and running with the gospel. However, they were stagnated and they were not growing up. And it was time for them to grow up. And he writes this letter that we call 1 Corinthians, which is actually the second letter that we know of that was sent to them. And there's not always a good response when we speak truth to people's lives. Now, I'm sure many of them understood that this was God using Paul to speak truth into their lives, but it's, it's upset some of them. And there are some false leaders and false people within this church that are trying to take control and fight against the one who started the church. And so we see this dynamic that is going on, and we're going to see it very clearly in 2 Corinthians. There is also the possibility that between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that Paul made a short visit to Corinth and dealt with the issue of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it brought a lot of sorrow to the congregation. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 5, he tells them to put the man out that's living a life of immorality. And we don't have to go back to all the specifics, but that could be the issue in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians, this visit that he had that brought about a lot of sorrow. Anytime you kick anyone out of the church because of their actions and because what they have done, it produces conflict. It produces hurt. It was a visit by Paul that brought about a lot of sorrow. However, in the second chapter, it seems that this individual repented before God, and I praise God for that. So if it's dealing with that situation, Paul did make a short visit to Corinth and then made his way back to Ephesus, and now he's coming again to Corinth, but he's going through Macedonia. And around AD 55 from Macedonia, he's writing what we call 2 Corinthians back to the church. And there has been some fighting against his first letter, 1 Corinthians, fighting against this and what he has said. And uh, they are trying to intimidate Paul in some degree. They're questioning his integrity his apostleship, 
because he had intended to return back quickly to them to make two short visits, but he doesn't return back for that second visit. So they're questioning his honesty, his integrity, his apostleship. They're questioning this offering that he's taking up for the believers in Judea, probably accusing him of trying to put this money into his own pocket and things of that nature. But there is a full attack against his influence within the Corinthian church. And so the first seven chapters is dealing more about his delay in coming back to them because he said, I'm going to make two quick visits to you, and he only made one visit. And so he's explaining some of that. Chapters 8 and 9 is dealing more with this offering and encouraging them not to stop and raising this offering, but continue to raise this offering for the Jewish believers in Judea who are suffering at this time physically. And then chapters 10 through 13, one of the strongest rebuttals to their attacks and one of the strongest defenses of one's own life and his own ministry to a church that he established. He is coming with the power of God, and he's coming to fight against those that question his apostleship. And we're going to read about that in chapters 10 through 13. So this is setting some of the background. I have said to people in the past that if you really think that God's called you to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel like Paul was called in his life to proclaim the gospel, he says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. This was God's calling upon his life. If you want to know what it's all about, read 2 Corinthians because you're going to come under attack. And the attack that he goes through, yes, is from the outside. We see that through the 30, 35 years of his ministry. We see the attack that comes from the outside. But the hardest attack that anyone that goes through in ministry is the attack from within. And he's going to be attacked by certain individuals within the Corinthian church that are trying to silence him. And it's not an issue about Paul From Paul's perspective, it's an issue about them and their faith and them growing up in the faith. So his focus is not about, oh, woe is me, I'm Paul, nobody likes me. It's about them. And he knows that these individuals that are trying to take control, false teacher, false brethren, who are even slapping people in the face to keep them in subjection to them, that he has to be strong and assert his apostleship back onto the Corinthian church that's under attack. And so this is the background, the historical background. He's writing from Macedonia around A.D. 55. He's getting ready to come to them, and he writes this letter to them to set the stage, really, of a confrontation that's about to take place. So now let's jump into the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to ask Alan if you could read the first seven verses, and let's look at what Paul says in this introduction in this second letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, 
so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Let's look at this introduction. Paul, an apostle, he makes it known to them at the beginning, and in a lot of his letters, most of his letters, he brings out the understanding he is an, an apostle, that God has called him to lay a foundation of the gospel in places that does not have the foundation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So that apostleship is going to come under attack, but he establishes it right here in the introduction. He is not backing down from that term. He is not shying away from it. He embraces what God has called him to do to lay the foundation of Christ Jesus, and this is the will of God for his life. And Timothy is with him. It does not mean that Timothy is helping him to write this letter, but Timothy is with him at this time. When you look at what he is saying, he emphasizes the sufferings of Christ as ours in abundance. Look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Paul was a sharer in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he understands that this is his suffering that we are experiencing ourselves because it's for his namesake that we suffer. But also there is comfort in abundance through Christ. So in the midst of suffering, Christ is comforting us. This is what Paul is saying. And it is in abundance. We can never lose sight of that. As he is writing an introduction to the church at Corinth, yes, we go through afflictions. Yes, there are times that are very difficult. But we also understand that he is our comfort in abundance through these times. And he wants the Corinthian church to remember this. If you go down to verse 7, he says, and our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Titus and others are suffering because of Christ, there are Christ's sufferings that they are going through, so they are sharing in their sufferings as well. So also you are sharers of our comfort. So the same comfort that they are receiving through Christ, the Corinthian church receives. What we are seeing here is that Christ and his sufferings is Paul's sufferings. And the comfort that he has through Christ, that he is experiencing in abundance, all of these things are with the Corinthian church as well. We're looking at this. He is the one that laid the foundation. What he is going through should be the same things that the church at Corinth is going through. If they're going through suffering, 
yes, Paul is going through it as well, and these are the sufferings of Christ. All of it is because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the midst of that, in abundance, there is comfort, not just for Paul, not just for Timothy, but for all the believers that are in Corinth. And so there is this connection between the one that laid the foundation and those that believed to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. Now, after this introduction that he speaks to them about the suffering and the comfort that we have in Christ, and he also makes reference character of God who brings about that comfort in the times of sufferings and that he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. All of this is coming from the character of God that we experience through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. After this introduction, he's going to continue to talk about sufferings. And I want us to read verses 8 through 11. Alan, if you don't mind reading these verses. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. When you look at these verses, we do not know specifically what events took place here with Paul and what he's referring to. We do not know exactly which city. We know that it was in Asia. Asia was a district in modern-day Turkey, the western side of modern-day Turkey, that in this district, in this region, he came under such threat that they thought that they were going to lose their lives. In fact, death was within them. If I look at the terminology We had the sentence of death within ourselves. There was an understanding they are about to die, and there was not any hope outside of God. And one of the greatest places to be is in a place where you're 100% dependent upon God. And in these verses, you get that understanding. We weren't able to protect ourselves. We were not able to think of how to get out of this situation We had a death sentence within ourselves. We knew it was the last chapter of our lives, and we just put everything into God's hands, and God is the one who raises the dead. And you see that in verse 9. They were in Asia, this province, this district, and the western side of what is modern-day Turkey. We don't know exactly what was taking place, but they felt and he felt that they were about to die. But they put their faith in God. It is God who raises the dead, who delivered us, verse 10, from such a great peril of death and will deliver us. And now the faith, once you've been delivered from a situation like that, then your faith grows and it becomes stronger. And he says, and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and and he will yet deliver us. So he knows he's going to be going through more difficulties, more persecution, 
But we had a death sentence, and God brought us through it, and God will deliver us in the future. Our lives are in the hands of God, and God is able to raise the dead. And he, in verse 11, gives thanks to the Corinthians for their prayers. And that gives me the indication, Alan, that they knew something about what was going on with Paul and those that were traveling with him, and they began to pray And God used those prayers in order to be one with them, in order to protect them as they were crying out to God. And Paul and those with him were crying out to God. God answered those prayers, and they're still alive. And in the future, God is able to deliver us. So what a testimony back to the Corinthian church that thought, hey, this could be it for Paul and for Timothy and whoever else is with him. But now they're still preaching. They're still going forward. They haven't learned wisdom from this and said, okay, now we're going to be silent and we're going to go back and protect ourselves. They're still preaching the gospel. And God will deliver us. When I say wisdom, I'm saying that in a sarcastic way because some people say, oh, we went through this and we've got to learn from this. We can't continue to do this in the future. This is not what Paul is saying. God delivered us and they're still preaching. They're still teaching. They're still going from city to city, naming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and declaring God will deliver us. They are just being faithful to God and they are thanking the church at Corinth for their prayers during this time. And it looks like at the end of 11, and I'll ask you um, what you think on that, but it says, so thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So so thanks may be given to God, it, it seems like it's reading to me, by many. So it's almost the Corinthians prayed, they saw what God brought them through. So not only did Paul and Timothy, whoever was with him in Asia, you know, had their faith built up, the Corinthians that were praying saw that, and people that saw them praying saw that, and they saw what God did. So you have this just ripple effect of everyone seeing the power of God move and the power of prayer and all this thanks be given to God. Because like Paul said earlier, nothing could have been done. There was nothing, no other option. They were dead, and they knew it. They knew it inside of their self, but God delivered them. So that's just a powerful testimony, and I think that speaks to you know, when we talk about the sufferings, and Paul really hits on that, you know, in the first seven verses, but that's that's a part of, of the walk with Christ, and that's a part of a testimony, and you say, well, how are these bad things, and Paul had this rough life, and man, it must have been terrible, but God used those things for people to give thanks and to glorify his name, and it's incredible when you look at it that way, and, and especially in the Western culture, we get so scared of the word suffering. And, you know, we don't want to hear that. And, well, that's not me. That was for Paul. <laughs> that's for the people that are in, you know, Iran or Iraq or some Muslim country. That's not for us in America or in the West. But that's when God sometimes can work and, and do the most powerful things is through the testimony of what he can bring you out of. And he can't bring you out of something if everything's good. You yes. Know? God brought them out of a death sentence. And he's giving thanks to them that together, you're completely right, that together they give thanks to God because of God's deliverance. And so together they were a team praying together. The Corinthians joined others, and together they were all praying. And God brought them through that. And a person that comes through a situation like that is much stronger on the other side. Depending on how 
they go through it and if their focus is upon God. And when you're going through sufferings, you're dependent upon God. And that's where we need to be. And that's what God allow, why God, I believe, allows us sometimes to go through sufferings because we need him every day. And he is my protector. He is my provider. He is my refuge. He is the one that brings deliverance. And when there's times that nobody else can deliver you, and you see the hand of God working upon your life, the faith that is built up, and the courage to keep going forward is so incredible because of what God has done. So I see exactly what you're saying. He is reminding them of their prayers in, in a way of thanking them for joining others who pray, but it's all giving thanks to God, and God will deliver them in the future. And so praise God for that, and may we have that same mentality within our own lives. Now let's read verses 12 through 14. I'll read these verses uh, to give Alan a little break here, and let's discuss this about Paul's integrity. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity— not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus." So when you look at verse 12, Paul does this sometimes. He talks about his conscience and looking inward, checking the reality of the statement that he's about to make. But Paul and others with him are walking in the holiness of God, and they're walking in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. So they're walking in the grace of God. They're living a life that is to be holy before God, and there's honesty and sincerity in what they are doing. This is not a time in which they're bragging about themselves, but he, with proud confidence, he understands this is a reality. This is who they are. This is what God is doing through their lives, and they have conducted themselves in a way that honors God and has honored God, especially towards you, the Corinthians. This is important because they're going to start coming under attack. And so he's talking about who they are. We're walking in honesty and sincerity. We're walking in the grace of God. And we're walking in holiness. Lives set aside for the glory of God in this world. And he wants them to know that. Verse 15. In this confidence I intended at first to come to you, so that you might twice receive a blessing. So here we see that he is talking about twice he wanted to come to them. Verse 16, that is to pass your way to Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. So there was this initial plan for two times for Paul quickly to come to them at Corinth. Verse 17, therefore I was not vacillating or wavering when I intended to do this. Was I? Question mark. Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? 
so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. Now, if you're trying to read what is going on, there is probably an attack that Paul says this, but he means this. He said he would come twice, but he didn't do that. So he's wavering. He's indecisive. But there are many times that we make plans to do certain things, but it just doesn't work out. And here in this situation, because there's so much conflict, people are using that to attack Paul. Let's go to verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. It's not indecisive. It's not wavering. It's not just flippantly me saying this. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. He is saying, when we came to you to preach to you, it wasn't in something that was indecisive or wavering. We came yes in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. That is our personality. That does not mean that our plans cannot change sometimes. Now, we don't know why he did not come back to Corinth. However, his plans did change, and it happens to everybody from time to time. But he wants them to know that we are decisive, that when we say something, we mean it. You saw it in our preaching, and we're not individuals that flip back and forth. Verse 20, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ Jesus and anointed us is God. Now, God establishes us with you, Corinthians, in Christ Jesus, and the one who anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge or a down payment So this is what God has done. He has anointed us. He has sealed us. He has given us the Spirit of God in our hearts as a pledge. This is what God has done. This is the promises of God, and it is amen. These are definite things that God has done through Paul and the others, just like their preaching was not indecisive. It was decisive. It was concrete, just like God had done within their own lives. Verse 23, but I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. So in these last two verses, he gives some insight of why they did not come back, probably because there was so much conflict And there was sorrow that we're going to see in chapter 2 that came about from this visit. And what happened there, that when he went up to Macedonia, through prayer and praying, felt like it's not the right thing to just come right back. To give it some time, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. He really felt that right now was not the right time to go back, probably through prayer, probably at looking at the situation. He's not being indecisive, but he felt like it was not the right timing to go back. But he's getting attacked for that. Others are saying, well, Paul, he speaks boldly. 
when he's far off, but he becomes meek when he's among us. Who is this man that says he's coming back, but he didn't come back? He's indecisive. He's a person you cannot trust his word. He does not have honesty. He does not have integrity. This is actually what has taken place because he did not come back quickly to visit them again. But the indication from Paul in this first chapter is, God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. He really felt that it was God's will for him not to come back because maybe there would be more confrontation that the church could not handle at that time. He had just had some sorrow come about that we're going to see in chapter 2 because of that visit, and it was time for to give it some space. It's like when you have conflict with an individual, and you know you've spoken truth, and you have done the right thing by them, but you understand they need some space. They need some time for healing. They need some time to be built back up. It's not time to just come right back in the room and let them have it again. If that makes sense of people that are listening, and sometimes as a father to the children, when you discipline the children, you understand it's time just to back off a little bit. You've said enough. You've done enough. Let's give it some time. And then if his ugly head comes back up, we will deal with it. But right now in Paul's spirit to the Corinthian church, It's a time for them to be built back up. It's a time for joy, not to have sorrow again. So he delayed coming back quickly to them. And I hope everybody can see this in this first chapter. And also remember, as we go through this letter, there are no chapter and verses in the original. So this is going to be a flow of thought into what we designate as chapter 2. But you're going to see this same flow of thought this context continuing. And the first seven chapters are really dealing with one flow of thought here, dealing with this delay and issues about the delay of coming back because he's coming under attack for that, for not coming right back. Chapters 8 and 9, coming under an attack because of the offering. And chapters 10 through 13, standing strong and preparing them for when they do come of the spiritual battle that's going to take place. And Paul's already beginning to pray for that spiritual battle and that conflict in the future. Let's end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this letter. I thank you, God, that this letter was preserved. It is breathed of you. And thank you, Lord, for the conflicts and the suffering that Paul went through. It serves as a reminder of the spiritual battle that we have to go through in our own lives. But in the midst of that, your comfort was in abundance. And never let us forget that. Let us rely upon you. Let us to be to always be dependent upon you in everything within our lives. When things are really down, even if there's depression by what is going on. God, you are our comfort. And Lord, let us walk in sincerity in your grace. Let us walk in holiness. Let us know your comfort in abundance. Let us have faith that says he will deliver us and we put our lives into your hands. And thank you for the example of Paul of Silvanus, of Timothy, and others that laid down their lives to bring the gospel to the world. Thank you, Lord, that we can share in the sufferings of Christ as we look at others who have paid the price as well. Lord, use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.